Good morning, Springbrook. Welcome to the house of the Lord for worship. Thank you so much for being with us. Those of you who are here in person, kudos to you getting out once again in this cold, cold weather this morning. If you're worshiping with us online, a special welcome to you wherever the Lord has you today. We want to remind you, if you are online, that we have online hosts who are available all throughout the service. They would love to answer your questions. They would love to pray with you. We want you to feel connected to this community no matter where the Lord has you this week. Well, I'd love to invite you now to stand, if you are able, in body or in spirit, for our call to worship. And our call to worship today is based on Matthew chapter 5. If you are spiritually weary and in search of rest, if you are mourning and you long for comfort, if you are struggling and you desire victory, if you recognize that you are a sinner and need a Savior, God welcomes you here in the name of Christ to the stranger in need of fellowship, to those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, and to whoever will come. This congregation opens wide its doors and welcomes all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's lift our voices in worship to our Savior and King this morning. Yeah. 
a passage of scripture together today from Philippians chapter 2. I'm going to read the first slide myself and then I would love to invite you all to read the second slide with me. Our scripture reading from Philippians chapter 2 verses 5 through 11. Let this be the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness, and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Let's read this next next section together. Therefore, God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Let's continue in worship together this morning. Here to set the captives free. Oh, 
before the Lord together in prayer this morning. Lord, that is our prayer. It is our prayer and it is our hope and it is your promise that you have sealed our hearts with your Holy Spirit. For those of us who have acknowledged you as our King and our Savior, Jesus, we are sealed. We are named as your own and we hold on to the promise, not only of an eternity in heaven with you, but a life with you right now. A life bowed down in honor and service and worship to you as king today. We don't have to wait. We don't have to wait for heaven. We get to step into that fullness of life right now. Here's our heart, Lord. Take and seal it. Seal it today. Name us as your own. Father, I lift up each person in this room. I lift up those who are worshiping from far away. Your spirit is equally present with those who are here, and those who are at home, those who are far away right now. Your spirit is near to them. Will you give us each a sense of how close to us you are? Give us a sense of your delight in us as we delight in you. Holy Spirit, we rely on you so completely. Will you come today, heighten our aware of your presence with us? Make us more aware of how close you are. Open our eyes to see the ways that you're moving, our ears to hear you, and our hearts that we might receive what you have for us in your good and perfect and holy and blessed word this morning. Father, we love you. We love you. We are here for you. All of this is for you and for your glory. It's in Christ's matchless name that we pray. Amen. And you may be seated. Welcome to Springbrook. If any of you are good with production, if you want to help with stagehands, <laughs> I got to catch my breath for a second. It's not that heavy. <laughs> but our production team is looking for people that can run sound or can help with stage. And so if you're interested in serving on our production team, we would love to talk with you. I really would like to talk with you. But uh, we are so glad you're with us today as we kick off our new series uh, through the Sermon on the Mount. For the next 11 weeks, we're going to be looking at the sermon that Jesus t- teaches. And I guarantee it's one of the greatest sermons ever ever taught, is we're going to be looking specifically at what Jesus said uh, through his teachings. So we're going to be kicking that series off right here pretty quick. If you are new to Springbrook, uh, we want to extend a special welcome to you. 
Uh, if you're in person with us this morning, you've got a connection card that is on your seat, so we just encourage you to take some time to uh, fill that out. Uh, there's a place for you to drop that off in the back on your way out uh, this morning. Uh, but we'd love the opportunity to hear from you. You can share with us as much information as you feel comfortable sharing. If you're watching online, uh, there's a place for you to fill out an online connection card as well. We'd love to know that you're watching online with us this morning. I had an opportunity to log on this morning to say hi, and I'm encouraged by how many of you are engaging with us online. And so we really would like the opportunity to hear from you. There are online uh, uh, hosts are available to pray with you. If you've got any questions about our ministry, um, they're available for you there as well. But we're glad you're with us this morning. And today, uh, following the second service at 1230, uh, we are celebrating 25 years of God's faithfulness, the ministry at Springbrook. That is huge, isn't it? And so we just want to praise God for that. God has been faithful to our ministry. Uh, we started back in uh, 1996. Now, we've had our first service in 1997, and uh, God has been faithful to our ministry for 25 years. You know, statistically, um, 85% of churches that start fail within the first five to 10 years uh, for a variety of different reasons. And so, but God has seen fit to uh, have his hand a blessing on our ministry. And so today, after uh, the second service, we're going to have our 25th annual meeting. We're going to be talking about um, our vision for what God has for us as we move into the year. We're going to hear from some of our elders. We have some ministry updates. Uh, we're going to cover some of our financials. And so I just want to encourage you, if you want to know more about that, you can come back and join us at 1230. Gary Schweber uh, is married to Laura Schweber, who's our Connections Director. And so if you know Laura on your way in, her husband Gary has cooked, uh, baked some, some chocolate cake. And I heard that is probably, that's the best chocolate cake you're going to find. And so we're going to have some uh, snacks, some refreshments. We're going to have a great time worshiping and celebrating. Uh, so if you want to, you can come on back for that. And uh, I also want to let you know that um, we've been talking about how to encounter the power and presence of Christ in our life. And so we finished that series up last week. We're going to continue to talk more as we move through the year about how we encounter uh, God's presence in our life. Um, but if you are interested in knowing your spiritual gift, uh, we talked a little bit about this. Um, our next spiritual gifts class is coming up on February 16th at this three-week class. Uh, meets in the evenings on Wednesdays, and uh, it's from 7 to 8.30. And so if you want to know more about uh, your spiritual gift or how God's wired you, it's, it's our job description. And so if you want to know a little bit more about how God's wired you, uh, if you want to continue to engage in unpacking more of the power and presence of Christ in your life, uh, spiritual gifts are a great way to be able to do that. And so you can sign up for that on our website. Uh, we'll be uh, closing that out pretty soon. So if you've got any questions, please let us know. Well, today we're looking at uh, kicking off this series on the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, we're going to spend some time uh, talking about the Sermon on the Mount in its entirety, how it's structured. For the next 11 weeks um, leading up to Easter, we're going to be looking at various passages uh, that Jesus taught uh, in that sermon. And through that sermon, just the way that he engaged his conversation with his listeners, it was something that really challenged their thinking. It challenged the way that they thought, the way that they behaved, some of the norms that they were experiencing in the day. And uh, it's really challenging from that perspective. And in one way, it turns their world upside down because it's completely different than what they were expecting uh, in, a, in a future king. And so Jesus came uh, to seek and save that which was lost, to serve. And so he really shatters their world with an understanding about what it means to be a part of the kingdom of God. Uh, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 5. And so if you brought a Bible, you can turn with me there. Um, in Matthew chapter 1, we get a, a sense of the genealogy of Jesus. And so it, it tracks you know, his birthright as you read through his genealogy. Um, you come to understand that Jesus has a legal right to rule just because of who he is, because who he was born into, the family, his genealogy really points to the fact that Jesus has a legal right to rule. 
And as you move into chapter 2, um, you see that chapter 2 real, really reveals his kingship. What does it mean to be a king? You know, the believers at that time were expecting a king that was going to rule with an iron fist, that was going to rule governmentally. And Jesus turns that thinking upside down. He's a ruler that came to seek and save people. He, he completely shatters their idea of what it means to be, uh, to be a king and to be a savior. And so we see in chapter 2, um, we see his really, his, uh, really reveals his kingship and his role uh, in the story that God's writing out. And as we move into chapter 3 and chapter 4, um, you see that Jesus has authority. And so chapter 3 specifically speaks to his, who he is, his authority, uh, as he overcomes even over, over Satan. And so we get to see the authority of Jesus. We get to see his uh, ministry as it begins to kick off. And then when you get to the end of chapter 4, beginning in verse 23, it says this. It says, Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom in healing every disease and every affliction among the people. And so his fame had spread all throughout Syria. And, they, and, they, and he, they brought him all of their sick so that he could heal them. Those that were afflicted with various diseases and pains, those that were oppressed by demons, those that were having seizures, paralytics, and he healed them. And in verse 25, it says, Great crowds began to follow him from Galilee and from Decapolis, from Jerusalem and to from Judea and from beyond the Jordan. And so Jesus' fame throughout the land has become so popular that people are coming from all around the region to follow him. And so as you read through uh, Matthew chapter 5, you get to, we get a glimpse of the kingdom of God that Jesus is teaching. You see, Jesus was going throughout Galilee. He's teaching in the synagogues, and he's proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and he's healing every disease and every affliction among the people. And when people came to hear him speak, they were anticipating maybe some other types of teaching. They were all coming to him so that they could be healed. But Jesus' reason for being there, and Jesus' reason for preaching and for teaching was so that he could proclaim the good news about the kingdom of God. Now, Matthew talks about it being the, the kingdom of, it's the gospel of the kingdom. Matthew uh, is a, a Jewish writer, um, and the name of God is a holy name. And so Matthew refers to God's kingdom as, uh, the, as, the, as a, a different kind of a kingdom. And so it's the, uh, but when you read through the other gospel writers, it's referred to as the kingdom of God. And here, Matthew is going to refer to this kingdom that Jesus is preaching about as the kingdom of heaven. And so the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven are used interchangeably, but Matthew as a writer focuses on the kingdom of, of heaven. But he says that Jesus has come specifically to teach them about the kingdom, about who he is, about how to have a relationship with him. And he gives them the good news that we know today is the fact that if we trust in him as Lord and Savior, we have the assurance of eternal life. And so Jesus would come to preach the good news about the kingdom. As you move through the different passages, as you move into chapter 5, his teaching is, and his healing is, is so prominent that crowds gather around him. And when he sees these crowds, beginning in verse 5, it says, he goes up on the mountain and he sits down, his disciples came to him, and then he teaches them, saying, and then from that verse on, we get his entire sermon all the way through chapter 7. And so Jesus, seeing these great crowds, takes an opportunity to teach them about the kingdom. And I want to talk about his disciples for a moment because the people that are gathering around Jesus have come not because necessarily they understand who he is. 
They've come because they've heard great things about him. They've come because they've heard he's healing people. And so Jesus has cast this offer out to early disciples to come follow him. And so he's casting this invitation out to people to come follow him. It's an invitation that all of us can experience. All of us have been invited to follow Christ. And so discipleship, when he talks about his disciples, he's not talking about just the 12. He's talking about people that have heard about him, that have been invited to come follow him. And it's a great crowd that has gathered around him to listen to this message. And so it's important for us to understand that discipleship starts by accepting an invitation to come hear about Jesus. So many times we think about disciples as discipleship as something that is for, for people in the church, maybe for people that have just made a faith commitment or they're mature. And so we think about discipleship from the perspective of people that have already entered into a relationship with Christ and spiritual growth. And that's true. Discipleship does occur there. It's sanctification, it's the process of it growing more to be like Christ. But discipleship begins with an invitation to come and hear about who Jesus is. And so many of you this morning might be here this morning and maybe you have questions about how to have a relationship with Christ. You're invited into a relationship with him. And so if you're with us in person or you're online, you need to know that if if you're not clear about your relationship with Christ, discipleship begins with the invitation to accept Jesus as Lord and Savior. Discipleship begins with an invitation to come hear from Jesus. It's an invitation to come hear about the the good news. It's an invitation to hear about this kingdom that Jesus is talking about. And so discipleship begins with an invitation to come. When you get to the end of Matthew chapter 7, we see that when Jesus finished saying these things, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for his teaching was one as one who had authority, not as their scribes. And so at the beginning of chapter 5, we see Jesus with these great crowds, and he sits down on the mountain, and he begins to teach them about the kingdom. And all through chapter 5, and all through chapter 6, and all through chapter 7, Jesus is teaching them about the kingdom of heaven, or about the kingdom of God. And when you get to chapter 7, you get to the very end, when he had finished saying these things, the crowds were astonished. And so when you think about Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, it's, it's a long sermon, and we're not going to cover it all today. Somebody last, asked me last week, are you really going to try to cover that entire sermon in one weekend? I said, there is no way. Now, I don't, I can't, I'm trying to picture what it would have been like for those early believers, the early disciples, the early people that were you know, following him. It's like, hey, come join me, and we're going to sit down by this mountainside, and I'm going to teach you about the kingdom of heaven for, five, for three full chapters. And we're going to break that up into 11 weeks. Aren't you glad? And so we're going to look at the first couple of verses. And then uh, Pastor Matt and Tim and I are, have uh, split up our sermon. And so for the next 11 weeks, we're going to look at various components about Jesus' teaching on the Sermon on the Mount. But the Sermon on the Mount goes from Matthew 5, 3, all the way to Matthew chapter 27, verse 27. It is a sermon that was given on the mountainside. You see the Sermon on the Mount? Sometimes we throw words around. It's like, well, Sermon on the Mount, what's that called that for? Well, it's because it was a sermon that Jesus gave. And if you could, you know, you could read it. I've, you're just reading through the Sermon on the Mount. You could probably read it in maybe 15 minutes or so. I find it hard to believe that Jesus would have just kind of gone through all of that material in 15 minutes. And I can't help but wonder if I had been sitting in the crowd, I, w- I would have been raising my hand every couple of minutes. Okay, wait a second. Can you explain that? <laughs> you know, but Jesus gives a sermon. It goes through, it goes through three chapters and we're going to be breaking that out and looking at that in detail over the next 11 weeks. And the reason it turns their world upside down is because everything that he's going to say is nothing about what they were expecting. 
And so they had been gathered around him to be healed. He was healing people and casting out demons, and he was teaching with authority. And so people were coming out of curiosity. And when they gather around this mountainside, and he begins to speak, and he has their attention, the message that he has for them is completely different than what they were expecting. And it really does turn their world upside down. He teaches with authority, and he engages their, he engages their culture where they're at, and he teaches from a biblical perspective about what it means to be a part of the kingdom. You see, the Bible does not conform to our, does not conform to our culture. It doesn't now. It didn't 2,000 years ago. It hasn't for 4,000 years. The Old Testament, the New Testament were written, and they are God's standard for us. And so as we read through God's standard, it is always going to clash with what we find out in our community. And that shouldn't surprise us. Because the things that Jesus are teaching about, about it's really about God is perfect and we are not. And, and so Jesus' teachings are confronting what's happening out in the culture. And that is so true for us today, is it not? I mean, think about how many times we try to kind of just rearrange Scripture to suit our needs. You know, the Bible is clear about, for example, when life begins. And so it's sanctity of life. This, uh, this weekend, we're finishing up our sanctity of life. And we believe that, you know, from a biblical perspective, the Bible teach, teaches that life begins at conception. And that's not something that's firmly believed by our culture, is it? And so when we talk about relationships, being between one man and one woman, that's not something necessarily that our culture would believe. And so the scripture holds up these sets of standards, and it is completely contrary to what you might find in your culture. It confronts their thinking in their day, just like it confronts our thinking for us today. And so as we go through this series, it's important to know kind of going into it that it really is going to challenge the ways that we think about what it means to be a Christ follower, to be, to be a part of this kingdom of God that Jesus is going to be teaching about. So it's going to turn our world upside down as well. In Matthew 5.20, we're going to look at this a little bit later in this series, but Jesus says, for I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you are never going to enter the kingdom of heaven. And so the scribes and the Pharisees in this time of age, they were the ones that were the most respected. They were the most knowledgeable. They were the ones that everybody looked up to. They were the, they were the Mother Teresa over the top. I mean, so they were very, very respected. And so Jesus says, look, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you have no part of the kingdom of heaven. Now, that's challenging for them because in their minds, that's what they're trying to aspire to. Think of somebody that has influenced you, somebody that you look up to, somebody that you think, wow, that's a, that's a godly person I'd like to emulate. Jesus says that, that's going to fall short if you want to enter the kingdom of heaven. And so he challenges their thinking about what it means to be, to, be a, to, to, be a, to be a righteous person. A righteous person is somebody that has set God apart in their life. And so righteousness is, is something about who God has designed us to be. And so you know, righteousness, unless it exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you're not going to enter the kingdom of heaven. That was challenging for them. It turns their world upside down. In Matthew chapter 27, verse 21, it says this, Everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but only the one who does the will of my Father. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, is going to enter the kingdom of heaven. You know, there are people that are walking around that know Jesus. They, they think they have a relationship with Jesus, but they don't know him, and they're not doing the will of his Father. And so Jesus says, hey, not everyone who says, hey, Jesus, 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 is going to enter the kingdom of heaven. Only the one that does the will of my Father who is in heaven. 
That's a challenging statement for us today. A culture that's built up based on its works. Well, I go to heaven or I go to church. I'm a good person. I do this, I do that. And so we are so works-based that we think that we're earning our way into heaven and we think we know Jesus. And Jesus says, look, that, that, that's not how you get into heaven. Only the person that does my Father's will is going to enter the kingdom of heaven. That's a challenging statement, isn't it? And it was challenging for them as well. Earlier, in verse 13, Jesus says, we need to enter by the narrow gate. The gates are wide. Those are the ones that lead to destruction. And those who enter it by many, the majority of people are entering into a wide gate, and that's the one that's going to lead to destruction. Jesus says the gate is narrow, and that way is hard. And that's the way that leads to life. And those that find it are few. There are very few people that really understand what it means to have a relationship with Christ. And Jesus says, look, this narrow road is the one that's going to lead to heaven. And you know what? It's hard. There's nothing easy about being a Christ follower. It's not something you do in, with your spare time. It changes your worldview. It changes your lifestyle, the way you think, the way you behave, the way you act, the relationships that you have around you. Everything about being a Christ follower is difficult. But that's the road that leads to life. That's a challenging message to a church today that is, that is, that is for the most part, from an entertainment perspective. You know, the way of the narrow road is difficult. It's hard. And, the, and there are very few that find it. That's a challenging message for our church. It's a challenging message for them as well. And so this Sermon on the Mount for the next three chapters really is going to challenge the way we think about what it means to have a relationship with Christ and how to grow in our faith. And what does it mean to be the church? You know, that way, that the wide way kind of leads to death. And so when you think about, you know, that wide road, that narrow path, there are very few people that understand what it means to be a part of the kingdom. There are very few people that understand how to articulate a saving faith in Christ. And so that road to the kingdom is narrow. And what's happening from a cultural perspective, it's like with Matthew 13, where, where you see the good news about Christ being cast out, talk about the seeds and, and the soil. You know, there's some seed, it hits that path and people stomp on it. It never takes root. I, I have yet to encounter somebody that has not heard Jesus' name. Everybody has heard about Jesus. Most people hear about Jesus and then they just kind of peel off. You know, that, that's good for you or, you know, I don't, I don't need that right now. And so most people are like that bad seed. It just hits the pathway. It doesn't go anywhere. And so that is a very broad road. And if you think you're going to earn your way to heaven or you think that God just is going to put everybody into heaven, you know, God does love everybody. That's true. But only those that are his children does he give the right to become children of God and and they have the assurance of this eternal life. And so this, this, broad, this broad road is going to lead to death. And most people peel off of that. And then sometimes people will come to church, they'll get involved, and the, the seed falls on rocky soil. And then they, they, they get involved a little bit. And the closer you get to the narrow road, the more people are apt to peel off. It's like, well, I didn't know I was going to have to find new friends. Oh, I didn't know I was going to have to change my behavior. You mean I don't get to do all the stuff I was doing before? And so the closer and closer people get to the narrow path, the more they start to peel off. And so people just, just will peel off and some seed falls in the thorns and it grows and, and then it gets choked out. Very few seeds hit that fertile soil and grow and get to pass through that narrow gate. That's what Jesus is telling them. That, that pathway is narrow and very few people find it. Very, people, very few people found it back then. 
Very, pe- very few people find it today. And so it's a challenging thing to think about how do I work on my faith and grow in my faith to the extent that I am experiencing the fullness of the kingdom of God. And the amazing thing that happens is once you pass through that and you make that faith decision, that's where the joy comes from. And so the, the funnel, in a, in a sense, kind of turns around. It's after you pass through that and you understand your need for a relationship with Christ that you begin to experience new life. That's what Jesus promised in John 10, 10. I came so that they could have life and have it to the full. And so because of a result of who we are in Christ, I'm able to experience new life. I'm able to experience abundant life. I'm able to experience peace. I'm able to experience the fruit of the Spirit. And because of who I am in Christ, the whole new world opens up to me. And I begin to experience and enjoy the power of the presence of the Holy Spirit in my life. And so this journey that we're called to be on is one of moving more and more towards Christ-likeness. We make a faith commitment, and then we begin to uncover and explore all that God has for us. In Mark 1, 5, Mark writes this, uh, kind of talking about the Sermon on the Mount. And so Mark's perspective uh, on that was this. After John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. And so the gospel of God, the gospel of uh, heaven, uh, are, you know, they're the same. And we talk about that. But he said this, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. We are to repent and believe in the gospel and the good news about who Christ is. And so we need to repent We need to place our faith in Christ and we need to believe in him and then we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit and that's when we begin to experience the fullness of new life that God has for us. And so that road is narrow and we need to understand our need for a relationship with Christ and we need to understand the need for repentance and faith and belief in working our faith out. When we finished our series last week, we talked about the fact that we're all born. We all have a birthday. We're born in this world. And so there's a physical part of us, and there's works of the flesh that we all accomplish. But then we become a Christ follower, and we're born again. John 3, 3 says that when you make a faith commitment, you're born again. You're new. And so you're no longer just a physical person, but you're now also spiritual. And so there's two parts of you. If you have a relationship with Christ, you've got your will, but then you have the Spirit of God in you that enables you to accomplish His will. And so we're working out our faith until that day that the Lord calls us home or Christ returns. We're, we're new creations. And so that happens when we, when we enter into a relationship with Christ. We begin to experience the kingdom of God now. And so if you have a relationship with Christ, you get to experience the benefits of the kingdom of God now. What that looks like from Matthew's perspective is we have this world, we have creation, and then, and then we have the kingdom of God that comes into existence when Christ is born. When Jesus was born, he said, the kingdom of God is at hand. And so we can experience the kingdom of God today. We're not just sitting around waiting for heaven. We got glimpses of what heaven's going to look like, but we can experience the kingdom of God today because of who we are in Christ. And so we've got this world, and then when Christ was was born, the, the kingdom of God is at hand, and we are have our feet in two worlds right now. Just like we have the works of the flesh that we have to work against, we have the Holy Spirit in us, we're also very much in this world physically. I got one foot planted in this world, but I have one foot planted in heaven. And so I can experience the kingdom of heaven today, the kingdom of God now, because of Christ's birth until the point that he returns when we experience it fully. And this heaven and earth are destroyed and the new heaven and earth are created and we get to experience the fullness of the kingdom of heaven without any fallenness or any brokenness. And so this kingdom of heaven is what Jesus is teaching about. 
And so when it says he went throughout Galilee preaching and teaching about the good news about the kingdom, this is what he's talking about. He's giving his listeners then, and for us today, a glimpse of what we're going to be able to experience for all eternity when Christ returns, but also what we can experience today. We can experience the kingdom of heaven today. And so that's what, that's what we're encouraging one another to do. Part of what we do when we come together is we encourage one another all the more as we see the day approaching. And so we are encouraging each other in the faith on a routine basis, and we're encouraging each other to experience the fullness of the kingdom of heaven today. We can experience that today. And that's what the Beatitudes are that we're going to look at in this, at the beginning of this Sermon on the Mount. And so at the very beginning of chapter 5, after Jesus sits down on that mountainside and he begins to teach, the first part of his sermon picks up in verse 3 of chapter 5. And if you want to read along with me, um, you can, uh, we're in chapter 5, verse 3. If you're watching online, uh, there's a place for you to click. There's a little Bible tab down at the bottom and you can click and you can open up an online Bible. Uh, there you can keep notes. Uh, but if you don't have a Bible with you, then just listen as I read along, beginning in verse three. Uh, verse 2 of uh, chapter 5. In verse 2, it says that Jesus opened his mouth and he began to teach, saying this. This is of this long sermon. This is part 1. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. That's my favorite one. We're going to come back and talk about that in a little bit. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And so we're going to stop there for a moment. Um, This is the very beginning part of that first sermon. And It's what's referred to as the Beatitudes. There's eight blessings that come about as a result of this kingdom of God that we can experience now. Verse 3 opened up with the blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And so he opens up the Beatitudes with that first verse. And then when you get to verse 10, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven as well. And so we see Jesus frames up. It's like a kingdom of heaven sandwich. And so he's talking about how you experience the kingdom of heaven. So this is number one, and this is number eight. And so both of those kind of bookmark what it means to experience the kingdom of heaven. How do you experience the kingdom of heaven today? You know, we are, we, we, we are encouraging one another in the faith. We're anticipating Christ's return when somebody makes a faith commitment, the old is gone and they become a new creation. Many times people make faith commitments and they say, okay, well, now what? I don't feel any different. You know, how do you experience the kingdom of heaven? How do you encounter a genuine relationship with Christ in a sense that you feel the Holy Spirit moving you and guiding you and directing you? Experiencing the kingdom of heaven is found in these eight principles we're going to look at in these Beatitudes. And so we're going to look at these one at a time, and we're going to talk about each one of them in in summary. Uh, Many years ago, I had an opportunity to do a a sermon series on the Beatitudes. It was an eight-week series, and we looked at each one individually, and we were able to unpack the fullness of them. 
And so we're not going to do that with this series. It's, it's my goal for us this morning to be able to look at these, these eight Beatitudes and then talk about how do we experience those. But I want to encourage you, um, this is a great study to do. And so uh, if you don't have a Bible, if you need a Bible, uh, let me know. We'll give you a free, we've got free Bibles out at the Ministry Center counter. I would encourage you uh, maybe over the next week to take some time to reflect on each one of these eight, read them, share them, talk about them with your family, talk about them with your kids, you know, talk about them with your friends. Certainly you can talk about them in your small group and anybody that's got any questions about them can certainly talk with any of our pastors or staff. But spend some time reflecting on what these looks like. And so I want to give you a summary of what each one of them looked like this morning. But he begins by talking about blessings that come about as a result of being poor in spirit. And they're blessings not from the perspective of I, I put I know, a dollar in, it's like a little scratch off, uh, you know, make a millions card. Well, I put in a dollar, I'm expecting a million. You know, these blessings that are going to come about are not those kinds of blessings. They're blessings that we can experience as a result of knowing who we are in Christ. And so when he talks about being poor in spirit, he's not talking about being poor from this perspective of go sell everything you have. You know, when he talks about being poor in spirit, it's reflective of uh, poverty of the whole of our spirit. It's just, it's reflective of the poverty of our spirit that acknowledges our spiritual bankruptcy. It acknowledges our spiritual bankruptcy. It's a conscious confession of unworthiness before God. God is perfect and God is holy and we are not. <laughs> and so when we come to recognize that, it's a sense of unworthiness before, before God. Not as we compare ourselves to one another, before God we are unworthy. Every one of you is, has worth. Every one of you has value. There are no accidents. Our worth does not come from comparing ourselves to one another. But before God, who is perfect in holiness, there's a recognition of the fact that there's spiritual bankruptcy there. That I'm not perfect. I'm not holy. He is and I'm not. And it's a conscious confession of that unworthiness before God. That's what it means to be poor in spirit. It's a conscious understanding that God is holy and we are not. And when we do that, we are moving towards experiencing the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is a perfect place. There's, it's a perfect place where, where the Father is present. The, you know, Jesus Christ is present there. The Holy Spirit is there. Heaven is a perfect place. And when we understand our unworthiness and we confess that and we are brought into a right relationship with God, we have the ability to experience the future of what we're going to have for all eternity when Christ returns or when we die and, and go to heaven. And so we get to experience the kingdom of how, heaven now just by understanding that God is holy and we are not. And we're, at one point we're going to be with him. So we get to experience the kingdom of heaven by understanding our, 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 the fact that we're poor in spirit. And then he says we need to mourn. Blessed are those who mourn, and they are going to be comforted. And so mourning is not walking around, you know, kind of, oh, woe is me. Mourning is, is the personal grief over that separation from God. It's, the, it's that understanding that, that my life is not perfect. I have sin in my life, and that separates me from God, and that's what I mourn. You know, when I think about the things of my life and the things that cause me to, you know, it's like, you know, to be depressed or sad. I mean, ultimately, what we should all be mourning is the fact that we have sin. <laughs> it separates us from God. And so when Jesus says, when, when you mourn that, when you, when you understand, when you understand you're poor in spirit, when you mourn that and you long for something more for that, then Jesus says that that's where the comfort's going to come from. God's going to comfort you knowing that 
Christ has paid the penalty for that sin and you're brought in right relationship with him, that brings us comfort. Comfort comes from understanding our position before a holy God and understanding that Jesus Christ is the solution and through our relationship with him, we're comforted. At the end of the day, if you have a relationship with Christ, that's what you're looking forward to. That should bring you comfort. This world is temporary. Everything you see with your eyes, everything is going to go away. Ultimately, our joy comes from knowing who we belong to and where we're going to spend eternity. And that brings us comfort. That's a blessing. And so when we understand we're poor in spirit, when we mourn, then we understand that's where the comfort that we're going to be blessed by comes from. And then we're meek. And meek is not, meek is not soft-spoken, and it's not just kind of being timid. You know, meekness, the meek are going to inherit the earth. Meekness is an intentional desire to see the interests of others advance ahead of our own. And so when we're being, Jesus was meek. He said, you know, if you, are, if you are broken, take my yoke upon you, and I'll make your burden light. Jesus came to, came to seek and save that which was lost. Jesus is modeling meekness for us. It's the putting the interest of others ahead of our own. And when we do that, that's where the, those are the people that are going to inherit the earth. <laughs> and so the blessing for meekness is, is that you're going to inherit the earth. And so people that serve, people that understand their position before God, people that are humbled before God, people that are meek and put the interest ahead of others, those are the people that God are, is, are, is going to give the earth to. You know, there's going to be a new heavens and a new earth. And these are the ones that are going to be able to experience that. And we get to experience that, we get to experience that glimpse of that now. You know, if you hunger and thirst, you're going to be satisfied. And this one really is one of my favorites because he says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Are you satisfied with your life right now? If you think about what's happening in your school, are you satisfied with your grades in school? Are you satisfied with your job? Are you satisfied with your family situation? I mean, are you satisfied with your life right now? Do you know where satisfaction comes from? Hungering and thirsting after God. You can experience satisfaction right now by hungering and thirsting for God. It's an intense desire for conformity to God's will, not my own. You know, when we start to seek out what God has for us, that's where our joy comes from. That's where our satisfaction comes from. I don't know if you know this or not, but people are going to let you down. <laughs> Your job's going to let you down. Everything, things around you, we, we just get let down really easily. But you know who never lets us down is God. And when we seek after him and we seek after doing his will and we pray about what God has for us and we understand when we're living a life that's conformed to, to his will for us, that brings us joy and brings us satisfaction. Ultimately, satisfaction in life comes from understanding that we have a God that loves us, that we can be in relationship with us, and that's what really matters. Satisfaction comes from an intense desire to conform to God's will and not my own. And then he says, blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. And this is not an exchange of mercy. It's like, well, I'm going to be nice to you, so you have to be nice to me. And so it's not an exchange of mercy that he's uh, promising us. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Being merciful is a loving response prompted by the misery and helplessness of the one on whom love is to be shown. And so when I look down at uh, somebody that has been wronged, if I've, been, if I've done something that's wrong and somebody looks at my own life and they show me mercy, then they are, they're looking down and they, are, they're, they, they see my helplessness. Wow, he really messed up, didn't he? 
He messed up. He, he made a mistake or he's broken or something's happened in his life. He's miserable. And so when you see that in your own life and somebody extends mercy to you, there's blessing that comes from that, isn't there? And so mercy is withholding something that is due. And so God has withheld what is due to us. And so he showed us mercy in a sense that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's mercy. God's given us a a gift and he's withholding his wrath right now because of who we are in Christ. And one day that's going to be poured out, but we're experiencing God's mercy right now because we are due something that God's not giving us. He is looking down and seeing our helplessness. He sees our brokenness. He sees our misery. He's extended mercy to us. And we do that to others as well. And so each one of these characteristics that Jesus is talking about, these are, these are examples of what we should be doing with others. And so we, sh- we should be showing mercy to others. And so there's blessing that comes about as a result of that. The merciful will receive mercy. And then we see the pure in heart. Blessed are those that are pure in heart, they will see God. Purity of heart is not a reflection of some outward activity. And so you can't look at your life and say, wow, look how good he's leading his life. We don't look at outward standards of a behavior that we find acceptable or unacceptable. Purity of heart is not reflected in an outward conformity to rules. It is an assessment. It is a personal assessment of how your actions and your words cover up what's really on your heart and mind. Does that make sense? And so it's walking the talk. And so if I'm saying I'm going to do this and I'm not, then that's not purity of heart. And so when we step back to evaluate our hearts, you know, that's something that's between us and God. It's, it's a personal reflection. It's an assessment of how our actions and our words are really covering up our heart and mind. And so is there, are, there, are there things that you think and you're saying something different than that? That's not pure. And so each one of us has to take a, a stock assessment of what it means to be pure in heart. I can't tell if you're pure in heart. I can only work with my own heart. Each one of us has to examine our own hearts. We need to examine ourselves daily using God's word as a standard to see if our hearts are pure. If our hearts are pure, if we live in with purity of heart, we will see God. That's the ability to have a sense of God's presence in our life. It's the ability to know that when Christ returns, I'm going to spend eternity with him. If we're pure in heart, we're going to see God. And then blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Now, this is not like the child of God. So when you make a faith commitment, you become a Christ follower, you become one of his children. But sons of God is more reflective of the characteristics of your father. Peacemakers reflect the love and peace of Christ during difficulty and despite circumstances. And so there's blessing that comes about as a result of being a peacemaker. And so when we're peacemakers, we're reflecting the characteristics of God in our own life to others around us. We're like sons of God. It's the, it's the apple doesn't fall far from the tree analogy. When we're peacemakers, we're reflecting the love and peace of Christ during difficulty and despite our circumstances. And then last, he talks about blessings of the persecuted. Blessed are the persecuted, for they will see the kingdom of heaven. And persecution takes many forms. It's reflected in accepting suffering that comes from being intentional about living the life that Jesus lived. And so when you're intentional about living out your faith and you're persecuted for that, then that's, that, that is where you're going to receive your blessing. Blessing comes from those that are being persecuted. And so, and we all face persecution in different ways. Sometimes it's physical. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's just like, oh, you're one of those. 
You know, but we all face a certain amount of persecution as a result of our faith. And, that's, and you just need to know that you're standing for God and, and you're, you're secure in who you are in Christ. And the blessing comes from knowing that no matter what happens to you on this earth, that you have the assurance of heaven. And so he, he couches up these blessings in terms of how we experience the kingdom of God. And so if somebody's made a faith commitment or they want to know more about, you know, how do I experience God's blessing? This is it. This is how you experience God's blessing. I'm going to ask uh, Rick Abbott to come out. Rick Abbott is uh, one of our ministry leaders at uh, Springbrook, and, and um, he is leading our Celebrate Recovery ministry that uh, we've been doing for about the last year, right? It's been about a year. You've got a group of guys that's come together. And the thing that was exciting about what, um, what I've seen God doing in those men is they are putting these things into practice in their life. And so Celebrate Recovery is based on these eight principles, and so um, it's been encouraging to, uh, to see how God's already worked through your ministry. I was just wondering, um, how long have you been a believer, Rick? Uh, 35 years. Yeah, hold that up your mic. 35 so you, years. So you've been a believer for 35 years. Yes. Now, you've seen a lot in those 35 years, haven't I you? I have, yes. <laughs> <laughs> We're talking about how we experience the kingdom of heaven. I know that you have I had some experiences with that. I know that's what you, what you talk about with the, with the guys in your group. Mm-hmm. Can you just tell us a little bit about how you've experienced some of these blessings uh, that Jesus outlines here. How have you experienced those in your own life? Um, first of all, the Holy Spirit convicted me of uh, sin and the dark way that I was living. Um, a week later, the Holy Spirit led uh, my wife and I to church, and it really was with wide-eyed wonder that um, we approached that. It was uh, such a difference uh, in terms of um, just the things that we were experiencing lifestyle-wise and then walking into church, learning about Jesus and um, experiencing things like uh, forgiveness and uh, grace. So our marriage, my work, um, my social life, they were pretty much trashed and... um, So working through the Beatitudes, um, first of all, uh, um, the first one, uh, being poor in spirit, that it was part of my conversion experience Mm -hmm. and um, mourning over the sin that that I had um, put myself and my family through were um, really difficult to confront, but on the other side of that, the blessings um, that that I've experienced, um, my wife and I, we went hand in hand to church. We went to small groups. Um, so the healing really began there, and um, and it it was such a transformation. It was um, putting God in the center of our marriage was um, made all the difference that. We learned to forgive each other, to have grace with one another, to learn together. Um, it was just a, an amazing transformation. Um, I was a teacher, um, art teacher, for um, 36 years, and the first 10 of those, um, I was really focused on me, mm. my my art career and um, the direction I wanted to take, and I was really burned out with teaching, and um, 
becoming a Christian, um, my teaching career was completely transformed because, um, because I became more about people and less about me. And um, I worked in a grief share ministry with the counseling department. I was able to minister to um, students with learning disabilities. So it transformed work completely. And then um, the blessing of growing and learning um, in, in the church experience changed our social life. It changed all of our interactions. And so um, the Beatitudes, I would say, are a pathway to discipleship, which you mentioned, and it's also a pathway to healing. Yeah. So, Amen. I've been a believer for uh, 25 years, not quite as long as you have, but so we understand the benefits of uh, the relationship with Christ. What would you say to somebody that has questions about how to have a relationship with Christ or maybe has one and is not experiencing the blessings of, of uh, that relationship? What would you say to somebody that has questions about how they can better experience? Um, my own experience is that it's not something that I do. It's not something that I will. But when I pray and when I read the Bible and um, those, those things yeah. begin to um, come into place, it's uh, kind of uh, one of those upside-down things that um, we're powerless and when we give the power over to God, he transforms us because of our submission to him. Amen. Amen. Well, I want to thank you and Marty. You guys have been, uh, how long have you been at Springbrook? Uh, two and a half About years. Two and a half years. Yeah. You guys have been a blessing to our ministry. Thanks for leading our Celebrate Recovery Group. Our Celebrate Recovery Group is designed to help people overcome areas of hurts, habits, and hangups. You know, and through that, they're really able to experience the power of God in their life. It's exciting to be able to hear testimonies of life change to that. So I appreciate your leadership. Thanks for all you Thank do. Thank you. So if you have questions about, um, you know, our Celebrate Recovery group, if you're, maybe you're struggling with a hurt or habit to hang up, I know Rick would love the opportunity to talk with you. We're just launching this ministry now. And so you can go to our website to find some more information about that. Um, but um, experiencing the kingdom of heaven is, uh, a, is, a, is a result of a blessing of being intentional about living a life that God's called us to live. It's, he's given us these standards through Scripture. And as we read God's Word and apply them to our lives, it's there that we begin to experience blessing. Beginning in uh, verse 11, Jesus continues, he said, Blessed are you when others revile and persecute you, uh, other kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. You know, when you're persecuted uh, because of your faith and, and um, because, of your, uh, because of Christ, um, there's blessing that comes about from that. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For those that they persecuted, the prophets were even before you. So the blessing and the reward comes from understanding your identity in Christ. And that's where the blessing comes from. As he moves into verse 13, he talks about the fact that this faith that you're living out is to be shared. And so this blessings that you've received were to share with others. You know, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? You can't make salt saltier by adding salt. You know, you are the salt of the earth. It's, it's not good for anything. And so you've been, if you've experienced these blessings... Jesus goes on to say that there, it's not any good if you're keeping them to yourself. You need to share what you have with others. 
In verse 14 and 16, he says, you are the light of the world, the city on a hill. It can't be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. And so if we are experiencing these blessings. We have a responsibility to share it with people around us. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. This is a part of how we experience the blessings of being in the kingdom of God is by sharing that um, with others. And so I just want to encourage you this morning that if you have questions about how to have a relationship with Christ, all the blessings that God promises us begin when we place our faith in Christ. And so if you don't have a relationship with Christ, Jesus, just like he did with those other disciples, he says, come follow me. And so when we make a decision for Christ, that's where discipleship begins and where the blessings begin to occur. And so if you have questions about our relationship with Christ, we'd love the opportunity to talk with you. If you have a relationship with Christ and, you don't, and you're just wondering where the presence of God is in your life, it begins by taking steps of obedience, evaluating your life according to God's standards, and taking steps with other people. And so we just finished up our encounter series, and we invite everybody this next year to, to read a book with other people. And so we've got some ways that we can help you begin to encounter more of the power and presence of God in your life. And if you want more information about that, you can go to our website as well. And, uh, but it's my prayer that as we move into this new year, that uh, our church family will experience more of the power and presence of Christ in our life. That's my prayer for each of us. And so if you have questions about our time together, we'd love the opportunity to talk with you. For the next 10 weeks, we're going to continue to look at various components of Jesus' teaching. I don't know how he did it all in 15 minutes. See, this is why I think he did it in one sitting for sure, because he sat down the mountain and then he finished in the mountain. But uh, I tried to figure out, I would have had some questions along the way. I'm sure you do as well. If you've got any questions about anything that we've talked about, please let us, uh, let us know. If you're watching online, um, you can uh, let us hear from you there. If you've got questions, our online hosts are there available for you. Uh, but I want to encourage you as we continue to move through this new year, um, that uh, let us help you to be able to experience more of the power and presence of Christ in your life. Would you pray with me? Uh, Father, I just thank you for this uh, day you've given us today. And I thank you for the work that you're doing in and through us individually and collectively as the body of Christ. Uh, God, thank you for the opportunity that we have to, like those early disciples, to, to sit at your feet to read your word, to hear your word proclaimed. And I pray that we would not just be hearers of the word, but that we would be doers. Uh, the things that we learned through this series, I pray that we're able to apply to our lives. Uh, God, I pray that you would continue um, to draw each of us uh, closer to yourself. Uh, we look forward to all that you have for us. And uh, God, thank you for 25 years of faithfulness in this ministry. And uh, God, we commit it all to you for your glory. And probably sings in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We'd love to invite you to stand one more time as you are able as we respond to the word we have received this morning. Let's lift our voices together. Spirit of the living God Spirit of the living God, we only want to hear your voice. We're hanging on every word. Spirit of the living God, Spirit of the living God, we want to know you more and more. We're hanging on every speak to us alone. 
for spending time with us in worship this morning. We are so blessed to be with you. Go now in faith to love and serve the Lord, empowered by the Holy Spirit in you. Have a blessed, blessed week in him.